The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen grand is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. grand Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with Dr. Doreen grand Good morning, Dr. grand Good morning, everybody. How's it going? You know, uh, we're all good here. We want to make sure that everybody knows that we are live. This is Tuesday. It is June 7th, 2022. But we are doing the show remote again because neither one of us could be in the office today. And that's just how it's going to be sometimes because, uh, you know, that's life. But uh, we are live this morning because I know sometimes you guys are confused by that. But I'll keep reminding you, we are live. It's Tuesday. It's the 7th of June. I have a 19-year-old now, which is insane. Um, absolutely crazy to me. And today is the day that the book the book is finally officially Yay! available. Congratulations. The, the glare is not good on the book, but um, my book, Autism Parent to Parent. But I think, you know, one of the best parts about it is the forward by uh, somebody named Dr. Doreen Grampuchet. Are we You're familiar so with nice. her at all? You're so um, nice. I can't wait to go home and, and get my copy and read it. There so you go. Uh, I can't wait to see you again and give you a, a signed personalized copy because there is a part in the acknowledgments uh, where it says that nothing would be possible without you. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> there's a long li line of uh, people that I acknowledge, I but it, it ends, I say, uh, you know, long line of people. And then I say Oprah Winfrey, cause yeah. Oprah, if you're listening, right. Never hurts. And a special thanks to the person without whom none of this would have been possible. Dr. Doreen Grampuchet. That's so kind. So. And you know what, Shannon, one of my recovered adult children actually sent that to me via text and said congratulations isn't that oh, nice oh that is so sweet that is so wonderful love uh, love that people you know are paying attention so that's a wonderful thing and um, I'm excited about that and we'll talk more about that another time but we're live right now yeah. and we are taking questions and Dr. Grampichet if you guys aren't familiar she's a true expert in the field of autism I behind her back I call her my mentor um, because I, it's not like she signed up to be my mentor, but she is the person that I have said for, oh my gosh, how many years now that I would follow her into a burning building mm -hmm. because I would know that she was going in for a good reason and following her into not burning buildings. Cause she doesn't do that, but following her has led to so many good things in my child's life and so many good things in my life as a result of that. And just so many good things in my life period. So Thank Part of which is meeting all of you, which is a great point for us to mention that the chat is open. I see that Rito and Sarah are already writing in. You guys can be writing in. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and uh, a dozen other places that we're live as well right now. And you can be writing in on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, and we can see it right now in the chat, and we can be talking with you directly that way. You also have the ability to send us written messages um, if you're watching in podcasts, and I know most of you do. Most of you are watching us in podcasts. Little note that about, mm, I don't know, three weeks ago, we stopped putting out on iTunes the video portion of the, the podcast because it's available to you for free on iTunes. It makes a little bit more sense for us. So if you want the, the audio portion, please download that any place where you get your podcast. But if you want the video, we're asking you to please check that out on our 
websites, autism network or autism live.com and, or check it out on YouTube because we are there as well. I didn't finish saying that Dr. Grant Pichet is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for more than 40 years. She really, I believe is the expert to listen to. She's the person who long before it was the fashion was saying, you have to take into consideration the individual, their desires, their needs. She was long before anybody else was saying it. She was saying, let's look at the family as a unit and help them to be able to be supportive. And let's look at the whole individual, not just the diagnosis. Let's look at what do they need medically and what do they need behaviorally. Everybody's coming around now. You've been singing that song for 40 years and people are finally catching up to you, Dr. Grant. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. And actually I was kind of shunned for a long time for seeing that sort of stuff. It was like, no, what is she talking about? And how could she even uh, believe that there's anything to be said about the biomedical? And yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever. It it doesn't matter. I I always felt like, you know, it didn't matter. As long as my kids were doing better, we would do what they needed, you know? But, you know, I, after I started, you founded CARD and my son started getting his therapy at CARD and it was amazing for us. And I'd heard stories about you and everyone had told me about you, but I had not had a chance to meet you. But even before I had a chance to meet you, there was a very public, we're not going to go into the whole thing, but there was a very public to do where somebody was sort of calling you out for talking about uh, you know, treating the whole child. And I remember thinking, Ooh, you know, the fact of the matter is, as a parent, if I hear someone's talking that level of sense and saying, let's look at the whole individual and not just one little aspect. I mean, that just made so much sense to me. And I remember not, and and that, you know, we're not going to name names, but there was a person who, that you know, people thought was a great expert. And I stopped listening to that individual after that, because I was like, you don't get it. I'm not interested in what you have to say. Yeah. So it was to their detriment, I think, for a lot of us. I think there were a lot of parents who went, mm, just not interesting, interested in what you have to say. Anyway, yeah. we're so glad you're here. And for the thank next you, hour, you. you're going to answer questions um, from am. people all over the world. That, so, and if I may, Shannon, real quickly. Yes. yes. Uh, wow, that's amazing that the last question that just came in, because what I wanted to say was, first of all, there is a question that you sent to me, which I was hoping to answer on TikTok, but I did not get a chance to because I'm traveling, as you know. So I haven't been able to add any videos, but uh, so I'm happy to start with that one. But the interesting, the reason that I said like, wow, I love the question that just came in about what what if the parents feel their child doesn't need to be normal? Um, I, the reason that I, what I, one of the things I was thinking about over the last week, and I just wanted to share with you here is that I really want to also, you know, I mean, I love answering questions about what you need to do as a parent to help your child. Um, and that's very just second nature to me because I've done that my whole life. Um, but as you know, Shannon, one of the things that I feel is neglected, is are the parents and how the parents themselves are doing and how they're coping and being not just you know I'm a VCBA of course but I'm before that I was a licensed psychologist and I am a licensed psychologist and to me uh, that is a really really important thing that needs to be talked about so if you don't mind over the course of the next you know, shows that we do, I really want to dedicate some time and attention or maybe gradually start to attend to the, just the anxiety and depression and fear and panic and grief and everything that, excuse me, that, that parents experience, because I think there, I know that as a parent myself, we tend to ignore ourselves when our children have needs so we focus a lot on their needs, which is fabulous. And it's, you know, as you know, parents of kids with autism are my heroes. I, I look up to them and admire them so much. But I also think that it, we need, there needs to be some attention on what the parents goes through. 
Absolutely. You're singing my song. Um, and I do want to get to this question that the parent wrote in that, um, that we didn't get to, you didn't get to on TikTok, but can I just say for the parent who wrote in and said, what if you're not interested in, I want to get the wording right. What if, uh, what if you feel, what if the parent feel that your, your child doesn't need to be normal? Um, as a parent, can I just say that normal is of no interest to me? That normal yeah. is a setting on the dryer. I'm not interested in that that at all. And when my son was diagnosed at two and a half and was not able to ask for help or ask for orange juice or or say no, um, don't touch me or you know or I'm in pain or whatever it was, he wasn't. I wasn't interested in normal. I don't, I don't give a rat's pooter about normal and really didn't as a parent really ever. What I cared about was that he had a way to communicate and that he had a way to tell us all the things that he needed to tell us and that he had a way to do all the things that were important to him and that he had a way to learn and discover. And I think that that's the vast majority of us. I, I think that there are some people who get hung up in this concept of normal. I want my kid to fit in. But I think if you whittle that down, I, I, I don't think that's really what people want. I think what we want is for our child to be happy, for yeah. our child to feel like they belong. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? No, so I, I, I'm not interested in normal. Exactly. And I don't even know what normal means. That's my perspective. So <laughs> for my, well, no one is. I mean, if you look at it, that's why even when you look at something that has, you know, we try to standardize and really objectively define the word normal. And the way that we do that is with assessments, right? Like IQ tests and so on. And if you look at any of those, there's never one number, it's a range. And it's called the normal range. And what it means is that you like, and the way that you define this is, you know, there's a certain number of people that fall within this range. And then some other people that are slightly outside it and other people that are more outside it, but they're still under the normal range. And I'll tell you what it means to me. What it means to me, and this is what I would want for my child. I don't care about normal either. I mean, I don't even honestly know what that means. I, I don't because you and I are are normal and we're quite different. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm sure. I don't think anybody's ever called me normal. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, we're all kind of different in a different way, right? So yeah. we all have different needs, different skills, different weaknesses, different desires, etc. So, but what I, what any parent I think wants for their child is uh, their child to be able to live uh, independently, happily, and even perhaps I'll go a step further and say, we want our kids to thrive. Yeah. That's why I love the word thrive because I don't care what the circumstances are, but I just want my child to be happy. And I think their happiness has a lot to do with thriving. So having, you know, having something that they feel successful in, uh, having friends, having uh, the ability to take care of themselves as much as possible. And those are the goals. The goals are not normal. The goals are whatever the child needs to be able to live a happy life. And of course, as a parent, you're the one that defines that, right? Because the child's not going to define that. So you're going to be the one defining what are the things that this child particularly needs at this point in their life. Absolutely. And just to follow up, Janet has written in and said, but autistic adults are expected to be more normal and help. And, and, and I know we've talked about this before many times, uh, Dr. Grampy Shea, that, you know, there are people who don't get it yet. There are, but I, but I think if this, if you're in a place where people are asking you to be more normal, I'm going to say you haven't found the right tribe yet. Yeah, and and you are expected to be normal. I, I think I understand where Janet is coming from. And I think those are the rules of society. They don't necessarily just apply to autistic adults. They apply to every adult, 
right? We are all expected to go to work, for instance. We're all expected to be polite to each other. We're all expected. There are certain expectations, which are the rules of society, so that thousands, millions of people can survive together. Um, And those are changing all the time. And I promise you, if you're an autistic individual now, it's a much better time to live than it was even 20 years ago. Or 40 years ago, my friends, when people believed that autism had to do with bad parenting. So mm-hmm. let's let's be real. <laughs> you know, things have improved a lot and they continue to improve. And it's not just about autism. Obviously, uh, you know, 20 years ago, you would not be accepted if you were gay uh, or, you know, 50 years ago, you would not be accepted if you were darker in skin. So like we're all changing and becoming more open minded. This generation, I love that about them. Right. Mm-hmm. But it takes time. And it's a process and there will be accommodations. There already are. If you think about it, the fact that we have sensory sensitive movies all over the country is unbelievable. Like it's spectacular. The fact that really large companies like Oracle are asking people like me to give them training on how to accommodate their employees who have autism is incredible. Those types of things are progress that has been made and it will continue to be made to the point where there's better acceptance. It just takes time. Amen to that. I said when Sesame Street came out with their character, I said, you know, people don't realize how big of a deal this is, but in 30 years, when all of the HR directors have had Julia from Sesame Street, they will no longer judge a candidate by whether they can shake hands and make eye contact. That's right. That's right. So we will get there, but it is a long, long road. Okay. I want to get to this question that this parent has been waiting for. They write, I have a 14 year old son with a dual diagnosis of autism and downs. He is L2. I don't know what that means. Oh, Level I two. got it. But I know there are two numbers. I know that makes you crazy, Dr. Graves. <laughs> Um, Maybe it's a two-two. I don't know. Um, They say he is verbal. He asked me, he asks me the same question over and over. I seem to be his trigger despite me ignoring his behavior and using a poker face and modeling the correct behavior. He is always laughing and joking with me when he should not be doing that. I've answered questions and he continues to ask me despite me ignoring him as well. I also gave him other questions to ask me, but he still asks me over and over the same question. How are you feeling today? Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I'm sending a hug to this dad. Um, Cause I know he's an amazing dad, but you know, a lot of us have, you know, we have had the perceptive question. It, it is crazy making, um, yeah. um, but that it's persisting and that he is 14 years old and they're trying different things. And when you can't find the thing that works, it's really hard. So what, what do you want to say to him? Oh, I have so many things to give you. Um, I just have a lot to give you right now. Okay. So again, let's start with, I don't, I'm not sure what level two is because there are usually two numbers. So, you know, and level two means mid mid range. So I'll just assume that both on language level and on stereotypy, he's on mid range. So kind of like um, in the middle there, which gives me kind of an idea of his functioning level, although I don't like to use that term. Um, So what I would do, I think he is trying to interact. And a lot of times our kids, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the parent who wrote that mentioned that I ignore him and model the right behavior for him. That is not ignoring. If you are modeling the right behavior for him, that means you're interacting. And so he is getting an interaction from you at that point. So what I would suggest is that you uh, separately, like when that occurs, You answer it one time. When he asks you, how are you feeling? You answer it one time. And when you answer it, you hold up a finger so that he knows you're going to answer it one time. Okay, one. And then after that, you walk away. Okay, you just literally do not interact at all during that time frame. Now, separately, I want you to practice other questions with him that you will answer. 
So get, write out a list of five questions that would be appropriate for him to ask something like, how was work? Um, you know, what do you want to do today? Um, what did you eat for breakfast? I don't know. You decide because that, you know, it has to do with whatever is appropriate in your, in your social life and have him prompt him to say those. And you can do it in a multitude of ways. You can model those for him. You can write them out for him, whatever it is, and answer those. And just do it. I know it seems artificial, but it'll be a different way that he can interact. And now you need to start going into more of an exchange so that he's not just asking one time and you're answering one time. You start to have, we call that statement statement or, you know, question statement. You need to start doing more of that. So kind of like then ask him a question and have him answer. And you start getting to a point where it's a short conversation. And as soon as they start getting uh, repetitive or rote the way that, that it is right now, put it away and go to a whole new conversation. And so those are the things. And as you do those, remember what he's trying to do is interact with you. So what you're trying to do is give him more different ways to interact. And that's the key to it. Wonderful. We've got so many, and I hope that that uh, helps. And I hope you'll write back to us and tell us because, um, you know, we, if, if something isn't working, let's tweak, right? I, I just want to acknowledge everybody who's writing in. I'm going to get to as many questions and I, as I can. I'm going to try to do them in order when it makes sense. We're saying hi to Rito, who's watching from Juarez, Mexico. Uh, Sarah, so glad that you are here with us. Ka, good morning. Uh, NH says, my four and a half year old son's cognitive testing showed a large weakness in fluid reasoning and processing speed, but nearly average verbal comprehension, which is great and superior working message. Uh, memory. They also said he had a lot of trouble staying on task throughout and uh, focusing throughout and that likely lowered his score. Are, aren't the working memory and fluid reasoning scores the opposite of the typical autistic profile? Um, and I just lost. What does that mean? Bit. Should I be worried? How do we help him improve fluid reasoning? That's the Thank remainder you. of that question. Okay. And wonderful. I'm so happy that you went and got this neuropsych testing, or maybe it was IQ testing, but these are important things to learn. Yes, you are right that usually working memory might be low with some kids on the spectrum, but like I said, all kids are different. So this is wonderful. And oh, I think Tra you're, Traven's writing in that there's more to this. There with, is more. Yeah, there was more. Just with concrete patterns and puzzles. It is more abstract reasoning. Exactly. That seems to be the problem. How, will that improve as he gets older? No, it does not improve unless you teach it to him. And there are lots and lots of ways you can teach it to him. And let's talk about that for a minute, because... This is all about flexibility. And I love teaching flexibility. It's so cool because you work on, if you think about it, there are so many things that we produce rules for that are just, you know, they're just rules we made up. So you can absolutely change those rules. The way one of the things we do, and it depends on the, oh, four and a half, perfect is that we do games that are usually based on rules and we change the game, change the rule. So for instance, if a game says, you know, you have to collect as many cards as you can and you win, then we say, you know, you have to get rid of all your cards or somehow you change the rules of the game. And at first it's very frustrating for our kids when we do that, but then they learn that, oh, things can be different, right? And there's that's just one way of teaching it to them. There's many, many ways of teaching flexibility. Um, for example, you will change a routine. For example, you will change the order of that things are done in, like having dessert before lunch, or you know what I mean? You, you, for example, you will observe some of the routines that he's developed and like in grooming himself and dressing and whatever, change the order of things, change the direction you drive, change things like that and point them out. And those are the things that produce flexibility, but there's a lot of them. 
Um, skills is out there. Skills. Um, what was the the URL for skills? I think is skillsforautism.com, yes. if I remember correctly. Yes. And you can go on there, and there's a whole section on teaching flexi- flexibility. Um, it's in the executive functioning curriculum. Um, and it is, uh, you go in the EF curriculum and there's a whole section on inhibition and flexibility and you will look in there. I'm pretty sure these days, if you Google teaching flexibility, um, you'll see a lot of ideas about how to do that. But those are the areas that you need to work on. And actually it will really help his um, fluid reasoning, right? It will help that. Uh, the other I mentioned the other day, I, I think it was on the show when we were talking about there's a test as well where like you can actually do this as well, which will help him. You can take a sheet of paper and on the paper, write, um, it, you know, all over the paper, like A, B, C, D in different places. And then also write one, two, three, four, that kind of thing and have him start track. Uh, one to A to two to B to three to C. That's called set shifting. And it teaches your brain to reason faster. So it goes from one set, cognitive sets, which is numbers, to another cognitive set, which is letters. And it teaches your brain to go back and forth. Now, you also mentioned that he's a little bit slow on processing speed and or it has a large weakness on processing speed. That I find is a very, very important feature of a lot of issues that our kids have. So that's another thing where you can try to increase his speed uh, by just timing him. But I will tell you that our processing speed increases the more familiar we are with content. So for instance, if I'm speaking English, which is not my first language, I don't think about it, right? It's a natural, fast processing. If I'm speaking French, I have to think me down, right? So when you know your content well, your processing speed goes up. So one of the things we do in ABA is when you've mastered a new subject or a new topic, whatever it is, a new operant, a new exemplar, a new lesson, you will really, really practice it fast. And this is, you know, you're trying to increase fluidity. Um, You're trying to increase just speed. And that's actually really important in learning because it just comes easier to you if you are very, very fast at things. So those are things you could do. You could practice known content, things that he already knows, but, you know, like we do it, like, for instance, you can just put pop out questions on, on uh, little index cards. I don't know if he can read or if not, or you could just put pictures, but put them down fast. What is it? What is it? Good, good, good. Really fast. Like getting the child to respond fast is, is um, increasing his processing speed. There we go. Parker, our friend Parker writes in and wants to know, what's the best way to teach vocational and life skills to adults? My friend's dad had to pull her brother with Downs out of school due to the school not being a very good, doing a very good job. My friend is a speech pathologist, I can't talk today, pathologist, excuse me, and her brother-in-law is a SPED teacher. The parents don't have a clue about what to do and they need advice. Uh, Parker has been able to give them some advice on the subject, but I feel like they also need expert help. I also feel that this can help the neurodivergent community at large. Please help me. Of course, Parker, you're absolutely right. This is a very, very important thing. Again, so when when I developed skills, which was kind of the curriculum that we wrote for CARD uh, years and years ago, um, the, 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 we also then later developed a skills for adults, which I think is called skills um, living, skills living. And you can look that up. They can look that up. They can uh, get a license for it. And there is a, there's many, many, many sections. One section is vocational skills and uh, it is broken down and life skills. Obviously that's a whole nother section, but uh, it's, you know, using the techniques 
of a combination of behavioral therapy or ABA, as well as depending on the level of the adults, level of functioning of the adults, some cognitive behavior therapy skills. And you, it's like anything else, Barker, you break down the skill, you identify what vocation the child or the adult might be interested in, and you start to break it down and, and into steps and you teach the steps and you reward the steps and you build. We have been successful at building quite advanced adult vocations, vocational skills uh, for some of our adults. Now, CARD does have a couple of adult centers. I'm not sure if they're still open, um, but certainly I would really recommend looking up uh, CARD living, I'm sorry, skills living, which is a curriculum, which is online. And I'm sure there are also other uh, curricula that are focused just on vocational skills. Uh, but and then life skills, same thing, of course. And life skills, you know, we've broken it down into much more detail because when you say life skills, it could be something uh, as basic as grooming yourself or something as advanced as getting on a bus and going to university. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So these are all life skills. So and we have it in multiple different categories and, and those are very valuable. Just to throw a couple of more logs on that fire, our dear friend Joanne Laura wrote a book that's called, it's based on the Autism Works Now method. It's called uh, Teaching Pre-Employment Skills to 14 to 17-year-olds. I don't know why the publisher wanted to call it that because it really was a curriculum that was designed to teach adults on the spectrum. But what it has and what I think it's a perfect partner for skills living or to be used, either one of them separately, um, it has worksheets in to teach the real practical things like how do you set up an email? How do you respond to email? How do you ask for an interview? What kinds of things do you do in an interview? Those, like all the practical things that need to be taught, um, there's worksheets and and the whole curriculum is in this paperback book that you can get um, on Amazon. If you just look, look up Joanne Lara, you can find that. And if you want something more intense, there are more and more colleges that are doing... Um, a sort of life skills program that potentially can help people to go to college. And, and if they're not ready for even that, the, uh, there's a place called Minnesota Life College, and, and there's more of those springing up where the, the student actually goes away to a college-like experience where they just teach life skills. So um, it's interesting that more and more of those things are popping up, Parker. Um, so let us know what ends up happening. Uh, Sarah says, Dr. Doreen, my BA is going on a training next month to Seattle to learn about direct instruction from NIFBI. Can you share more about it? Would love to know about how it could help, uh, children with autism. I don't know a thing about any of that, but do you, Dr. Grampy-Shay? Yeah, I know a little. It's it's an it's a teaching technique. It's an academic teaching technique. I think NFIDI stands for National Institute for Direct Instruction, and it's basically uh, just. I think if if you were to ask me, it would be more along the lines of ABA, uh, but it's fully academic. Like it will teach your BCBA how to teach things like reading, spelling, uh, academic skills. And um, I'm not sure exactly, Sarah, what your child's needs are, but this is typically something that is done by teachers, um, oops, not necessarily by BCBAs. Uh, I'm getting all these red signs here. I don't know if you are as well. No, uh, Shana, I'm okay. not. So we're I'm not. Fine. We'll continue on. Uh, Ari wants to know, how do you feel about focusing on typing in addition to continuing to work on handwriting? For a seven-year-old uh, child that is nonverbal but knows how to read. I love typing, Ari. I think it's fabulous. Um, in fact, I like it more than handwriting because I think that handwriting sometimes is a motor issue and it's harder. So with typing, it's just cleaner. It's clearer. It's easier. So I very much recommend it, um, not just it, for someone who's nonverbal, it wouldn't just be for reading. It could also be for communicating. So um, keyboarding, as we say, or typing is really a very good way to go. 
Yeah. I, you know, we have a saying here at our house that handwriting is so 1987. Like who does that anymore? It's so 1987. And I remember when we were trying to get uh, the, the school to shift to letting our son type. And we had one person on the team who was just really adamant about how that was not going to work. And, and I, and how he had to be able to fill out a worksheet. And I said, why? Why does he have to be able to fill out a worksheet? And she was like, well, he's going to have to fill out a job application. And I looked at her and I said, when was the last time you filled out a job application on a piece of paper? What decade are you living in? They will do it on computer. I said, you just sold me on what it was I was asking about. Let's move to the keyboarding. I think it's great to keep up on the handwriting skills too, you know, but keyboard, keyboard, keyboard. There's just Uh, some things that Shannon, like it's hard to let go of, but life is changing. You know, like I tell my kids, they might be the last generation that learns to drive. Yeah. Because by the time they have kids, who knows, all cars might be self-driving, you know? So it's certain things like, like you and I probably, when we learned, we learned how to do stick shift, right? Yeah, Kids exactly. nowadays don't do that. No. So it's sort of like time changes those things. Yeah. Well, and cursive writing has already gone out the window. Like I they know. aren't teaching cursive writing anymore. I know, uh, it's it's over. Yeah. So there we go. Michelle says, can I ask about stimming? Yes, you can. Uh, she says some ABA providers want to decrease or stop it. And some ABA providers don't. Your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. So Michelle, thanks for asking about that because I have a lot of thoughts about stimming and it's important. It's an important subject. And I think you're absolutely right. Like, what is the story with that? Why are people like have two different views on stimming? And let's talk about what stimming is to begin with. So it is basically self-stimulatory behavior is what it shortens to stimming, right? But in the diagnostic manual, it's actually called stereotypic repetitive behaviors. And ABA people refer to it as stereotypy. Okay. So those are all the names. Now, what is it exactly? What it is is anything that is stereotypic repetitive and does not necessarily have a function. That's kind of how it's defined, which basically means repetitive behaviors that the child does and from an ABA perspective, no people can't figure out if, you know, the child is not necessarily doing it for the typical functions. The typical functions in ABA, as you know, are to get attention, to gain access to a tangible or to avoid the situation or escape a situation or escape a, a, a consequence. And those are not, when we see a child doing stimming, in ABA, a lot of people will say, oh, it has an internal function, intrinsic function. That means that there's some form of satisfaction that the child is getting from doing it. And the satisfaction is something internal. Okay. So we can't really uh, change the consequences in order to control it. But what we can do is try to give the child something to replace it, which is a little bit more adaptive to society. That's the kind of thinking. Now, let's put that aside for a minute. From my perspective, there's a function to everything we do. And because we can't necessarily see the function or the reason, doesn't mean it doesn't have a function. Internally, I think sometimes, and I think self-stimulatory behaviors are a huge range. And I think they have different functions. So, and I'll give you some examples. This is just my opinion. It is not written anywhere. It is my opinion only from observing my kids over the years. I think some of the uh, self-stimulatory behaviors that our kids do uh, have the function of calming them. That's just one. And I think that, uh, for example, things like body rocking, which is not that common anymore these days, but it is still there with individuals who are a little bit more severe, individuals who have a little bit more sensitivity to the environment. They do rocking. And rocking is a known calming behavior. In fact, when you rock, you're activating the parasympathetic nervous system in your brain, which makes you calm, which is why we have rocking chairs. 
Um, we do rocking because it will help the baby and you calm down. So that is one aspect of self-symmetry behavior. Another one, for instance, might be, you know, this finger flicking or whatever it is that our children do with near their visual um, uh, screen, right? And I think that might, for some children, allow them to actually see the object better. Temple Grandin, Dr. Temple Grandin talks about how vision, she was one of the first people to talk about how the sensory input from visual field is quite different and that you see things in pictures or in what she called boxes. And for a lot of our kids, I know that the fact of the matter is that you see um, uh, not color, but definition or outline of objects better because on the side of your eye, the back of your retina, the side, you are going to have more of rods, which are, these are things that are in your eye, rods and cones. Cones can help you with color and rods can <clears throat> help you with perception. And the rods are on the sides of the retina. So when you hold an object on the side, you're definitely helping yourself see the outline of the object better. There are certain things like that that I think we consider to be self-stimulatory because we haven't quite connected what it does for the individual from a sensory input perspective yet. So we just talk about it that way. Like I think there are also other self-stimulatory behaviors that have to do with pain reduction. Like a lot of kids will uh, put their belly on some counter or something and press it and I, or on the couch that has to do with pain reduction other kids will like to play with hair or with sand and or water and those are things that are either visually or from a tactile perspective they're doing something from a sensory aspect it is it's almost like you know when we do sensory integration with children we will give them a, a box filled with rice that they can put their fingers into or a box filled with beans that they can put their and those are things that will self that will help the child regulate their sensory input and i think when our children do sensory self stimulatory behaviors sometimes they're trying to do that so you know regulate themselves so the question becomes, do we replace those things or do we ignore those things? And I think my, my feeling about it is you try to, if, if they become so obsessive in nature that they're preventing the child from paying attention and learning, then you try to eliminate them and replace them. Because anything that increases the child's isolation or lack of interaction with society should be replaced or reduced unless it's in short spurts. So for instance, if I have a child who is constantly doing this and I cannot uh, engage, I can't engage with them, I can't com communicate, I can't teach them, I can't learn what they want, I, I can't you know, draw them into the world, then I would want to try to stop that behavior for a period of time so that I can engage, interact, teach, learn, all of that, because that's very important to the child's survival. But I might also decide, hey, I'm going to allow them to do self-symmetry behavior as a uh, relaxation for a period of time, as a reward for a period of time. That's actually called PREMAC principle, where you allow a very high level occurring behavior uh, only if a lower frequency behavior is engaged in. So if I can get the child to give me eye contact and tell me what they want, I'm going to definitely allow them to body rock when they're in order to reward them if that's the only way I can reward them. So, the sh so I guess the long answer is, I wouldn't necessarily want to take away those things from the child because to some extent they're, pro they're providing a function to the child, but I would want to reduce them to the point where I can teach, engage, and interact with the child as well. 
Absolutely. And just because I know, you know, you talk about this in other contexts, I want to make sure that we're specific about, because you said replace or reduce, and that we talk a lot in, in other elements of the show about, you know, you never just, if something is helping somebody, you never just rip it away from them, that there are a lot, what you do is find the function of it, find something that fulfills that need for them. And that's how you replace 100%. it. I just, just wanted to make sure that we. That is so that. important. And that's, I mean, if you think about it, that's what we do too for ourselves. Right. Yeah. Shannon. I mean, like you might go on a diet, you're not going to just suddenly stop eating altogether. You're going to replace it, you know, cookies with celery. You know what I mean? You have to. Hopefully you something have to. better than celery. Okay, the celery is not that bad. <laughs> so that's what I mean, though. There's got to be some form of replacement that allows you to remain functional. There we go. Uh, Sarah wants to know when you're going to be writing your book for parents. She says that I think it was a therapy manual for parents waiting for it anxiously. Yeah, uh, no, no rush. But my book is out today for parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, Dr. Grand Pichet, now where is yours? I know you're competitive. So no, I swear to God, I know. And I, I know, thank God bless you. But I mean, like Sarah, and thank you so much for bringing it up. And please keep bugging me because I honestly just keep get, getting drawn into a million other things right now. My latest uh, uh, thing that I'm drawn into is virtual reality and developing games and virtual reality programs for our kids. But I do need to get these books out. Yes, you do. Uh, okay. Uh, Jasper says, my daughter at only nine is suffering from anxiety, which feeds into oh. her depression. Any ideas to help? She has mentioned that she wants to see God. A little scary to hear. We are getting an, emo an emotional support puppy to help her regulation. Yeah. I would really quickly um, get together with a psychiatrist. I, I would definitely do that and try to get her on some medications. And I, I don't usually insist on anything for parents because some parents are like, I don't want my nine-year-old on medication, but I'm kind of insisting on this one because I don't, what's harder to deal with is severe depression and I don't want her to get into severe depression. So uh, the medications, in my opinion, are not harmful. And I'm talking about serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, which stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor, or SNRIs, which are serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. And these are meds like Prozac, uh, Luvox. I mean, there's just so many, Cymbalta, et cetera. There's like 10, 15 now, and they will start with low dose because it's a younger child. So please don't worry because all that it does is it allows your child's neurotransmitters to stay available in the nerves, in the nerve synapses longer so that your child can uh, absorb them more. So it's not like it's it's not producing a new, it's not bringing a new foreign substance to your body. It's just making your body, um, you know, absorb these neurotransmitters a little bit better. And these are the neurotransmitters that are responsible for anxiety and depression. And so when you do absorb them better, you just become, and it doesn't change your personality at all. Like this is one of the questions parents ask me. But it does not. You don't even notice it. It just makes the individual a little less uh, reactive to, to sadness and worry. And those are very important. Now, there, the treatment, and this depends also on your child's, you know, what's causing the anxiety and depression uh, and also like the level of understanding. But the, the primary treatment is cognitive behavior therapy. And the cognitive behavior therapy works the best. And there's a lot of published research on this. Um, th therapy, so seeing a psychologist, works best when it is combined with one of these medications that I just talked about. So I would do both. Yes, an emotional support puppy would be great too. It will produce uh, a sense of comfort for her. But really, you got to figure out, Jasper, like what is causing the anxiety? By the way, anxiety and depression are the same thing. 
Um, people don't realize that it is anxiety and depression are so much the same thing that they're actually the same medication. Exactly the same medication deals with anxiety and, and depression. Uh, depression is kind of anxiety that has not been dealt with. And anxiety often with our kids has to do with not fitting in, feeling a little different, not quite understanding everything that's going on around you. If you think, and then also the sensory sensitivities, if you just think about that, like I have, I have, as you know, I'm very passionate about this whole aspect of anxiety in our kids, Shannon, I've given multiple talks about this because I, I swear to you, if I list just the symptoms of autism, and if you yourselves as adults think about these symptoms and you think like, okay, I have sensory issues with light and sound. They bother me. I'm not sleeping very well. 90% of our kids have sleep issues. I have some sensitivities to foods. So some foods, when I eat them, they make me feel like, you know, bloated or, or nauseous or whatever it is. I am not understanding all of language so that I miss important things that are happening around me. I don't like giving eye contact. It feels too intrusive. I don't know really how to fit in or how to interact. Um, the, the pace of everything around me is either too fast or too slow. I mean, I could go on and on. Every single one of these symptoms would cause anxiety. Yeah. It's kind of like, how would you have autism and not have anxiety? So, you know, so it's a very, very common thing. And, and as our kids learn more and more skills and they learn to adapt, it, they, the anxiety goes away because they become more successful and they become more able to interact. This is, again, going back to the very beginning of the show when we talked about, you know, wanting our, wanting our kids to be normal. And it's not about being normal. It's about being able to not experience anxiety in the environment that they're in. It's about being able, being learning skills enough so that you can cope. I used to say cope. Now I say thrive in society. And so um, that's kind of where you're at. But in before your child can get gain those skills, I really recommend getting them some support through both a psychiatrist and a psychologist. There we go. And he wrote back in and said, thank you so much that they have an appointment next week and that they've been great. doing daddy fun days away from school, which is great. Oh. I also want to say a programming note that on Thursday's show, Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, we have the authors of the book, um, the Autism Anxiety book. Um, so they're going to be with us on Thursday. You guys can tune in to watch that too. I do want to get to this question because Emily has written in and said that she, she says, I have a lot of meltdowns. I scream and cry and oh. I need some advice. My neighbors hear me screaming and they think that I abuse my dog. I do not. I love animals. I just can't stop screaming. And um, I don't know why I can't stop screaming. Any advice for her? Yeah, Emily, I'm not, I don't know enough about your background or if you have a diagnosis or if there are specific things you can tell me about what is actually causing you to be so frustrated. Um, you, sometimes, hey, sometimes we all need to have a meltdown on stream. But I mean, if it's at the point where you feel, I'm more... You know, I could give you, I could say in the, in the old days, like in the seventies, people would actually take a pillow and scream into it as a therapeutic technique. But it, my concern is more figuring out what is causing that for you. And then tr that level of frustration and then trying to help you, uh, you know, gain, gain skills that help you overcome that. She has written back and said that she does have an Asperger syndrome diagnosis and she has an anxiety disorder. Yes. Yeah. Sending you a well, hug. Emily. Yes, absolutely. Sending you a hug, Emily. And again, the same advice, especially I say this to all of my adult Asperger's patients, especially when you have Asperger's, it is extremely important to get therapy, psychology therapy, psychological therapy, because um, you are more aware and it is more difficult for you to tolerate and understand. I think a lot of times, and Emily, this might 
makes sense to you. The hardest thing is um, being able to take someone else's perspective. And when you're unable to take other people's perspectives, they just frustrate and annoy you. It's that simple. And if you can get better at understanding other people's perspectives, that will help you tolerate them better. But until then, so because that's a gradual process of like, you know, learning perspective taking, theory of mind, learning those skills that have to do with how other people feel, how other people think. Why do they believe the things they do? Why do they say the things they do? What led them to become the people they are? Learning all of that takes time. And while you are learning that, talking to a therapist who will help you with that, by the way, a psychologist will usually help you see other people's perspective better. And maybe even talking to a psychiatrist and getting some of those anxiety medications that I talked about will help you feel calmer in your own skin, will help you feel less judged and less uh, just, you know, you'll feel like, okay, I'm, I'm okay. Like my environment is okay. I have things around me that, and it just, this is where Shannon and I always talk about the fairness of the universe. Like you need to make sure your environment is fair, that you're getting enough goodies, reinforcers, because otherwise, hey, listen, anyone who doesn't have enough like reward from their environment is just going to want to scream. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, we're here at the end of the show and I want to get to a couple of things. Janet wanted me to say my email address again, please. So it's Shannon at autism hyphen live.com. So Shannon at autism and then hyphen, which is the dash live L I V E.com. And you can write to me with questions for Dr. Doreen as well. Um, I do want to say, Andre, you made me cry a little bit here. Andre says, I fell in love with ABA. Thanks to you, Shannon, and to you, Dr. Doreen. I'm taking a post-graduation in ABA in Brazil at the moment where I live. I'm pursuing a professional path to become a BCBA someday. You have no idea of the role both of you have played in my son's Improvement. Thanks from the bottom of my heart. You've made my entire day. Give me goosebumps. Thank you, Andre. And so many people have written in and said how much they appreciate your TikTok videos, Dr. Doreen. So take just a second. Uh, and Emily says, thank you, Dr. Doreen, bless you. But take just a second to talk about how people can, and if we didn't get yeah. to your question, I will forward them and, and, and perhaps soon Dr. Grampuche will be able to answer it. Yeah, and very quickly, Geraldine, the virtual reality platform that I'm working with is Florio, F-L-O-R-E-O. So, um, and that works for nonverbal kids. So what I wanted to just say is that if we don't get to your questions here, I do my best to answer them on TikTok, Ask Dr. Doreen. But I'm also starting now soon to hopefully work with someone who's going to teach me how to do reels on Instagram so that I can, I know right now we're sharing a lot of that information from TikTok on Instagram as well and Facebook. And I'm just trying to get out there and answer a lot of questions and be as helpful as I can for parents. Amazing. Amazing. And, and of course it says, I mean, my clock says it's one time, but this says we have a, a minute more. Um, so can I very quickly ask another question that got written in? Um, my son has mild ASD is very successful academically in school. His public school is reluctant to create a 504 plan for him. He just needs a few accommodations, like a special place to take a break when the classroom is too noisy, special seating close to the teacher and kind of reset when he gets dysregulated, helping, um, him on an errand, sending him on an errand to get a drink of water, helps him to get back and calm himself. That's it. I don't feel like he needs these, uh, uh, to navigate successfully, but I really would like something formal in place for middle school. Any suggestions? So in, insist, <laughs> insist yeah. on an IEP, insist on a 504 plan. You should be getting accommodations. These are minimal accommodations you're requesting. So there's no reason they won't give them to you. That just makes no sense. I, I would I would tell them if they won't give you a 504 that you're going to get a lawyer and push for the IEP, but they can't yeah. deny you the 504. They literally can't tell them right. that you'll bring in, you know, the AFL-CIO if they are going to deny him the 504. I mean, it's just like if, if he has a qualifying diagnosis, they can't. 
Anyway, so now we are officially out of time. I, I, I want to thank everybody for being here, especially Dr. Grant Pichet. We are back tomorrow. Get this. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to have Matt Asner and Nava Paskowitz Asner yes. because they're getting ready for the poker tournament, which you sponsored, Dr. Grant Pichet. I love because their center is, I think, such a wonderful thing and it provides uh, just such a great place for so many individuals. So I'm happy to support them. Yeah, you know, I love it um, because it has been tremendous for our family. And uh, I, I think it's a great resource, too. So they're getting ready for their celebrity poker tournament. They're going to be here tomorrow to tell us all the celebrities that are going to be there. Awesome. And we're figuring out how Autism Live is going to participate in that. And then on Thursday, as I mentioned, for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, we've got the two authors of the book, The Autism Anxiety Book, and their other new book, which are the do's and don'ts of social um I, i'm gonna mess up the title of it but social situations it's a handbook for uh people who are teens and young adults for understanding i want to read it because i don't understand some of the social things now with all the different uh ways that we communicate yeah. so that will be on thursday and then on friday we're going to be replaying one of our stories from the spectrum but get ready because boy we've got a new stories from the spectrum coming up here in two weeks and it's a doozy boy i can't even believe if you've got if you or a kiddo that you know or an adult that you know is super wanting their art they're artistic they want to do film or animation or something please reach out to me shannon at autism-live.com um because we're showcasing these wonderful artists because stories from the spectrum is all their voices their work um it's what they want to say we're just creating a space for it so i hope you guys are tuning into that because i'm i'm loving it it's the thing that's got me the most jazz right now so I there it is I just yeah. want to throw in before we go, Rita wrote, God bless you, pray for the parents. And I want to give all my love and energy and positive vibes to all the parents out there. I know you're you're doing God's work and there's so much to be done and you are the best. So just stay strong and keep going. Absolutely. Uh, much love to all of you. And thank you, Dr. Grampy for the wealth of knowledge that you are and the heart that you bring to all of it. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with Autism Live. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.